Amen. Thank you, Dan. When I was growing up in the big city of Dalhart, Texas, we used to have revivals when we would go to church. We typically had them in the summers. And I remember one time we even had a revival in a tent out in the city park, I think it was. Any of you been to a tent revival before? Some of you, yeah. Uh, We don't have many revivals uh, nowadays like we did in the past in church. But I always pray for revival uh, as a pastor. I pray for revival in the church that God would move. Now, some of you may be scratching your head asking yourself, what, what exactly is revival? Well, there are many definitions, but from a, a church perspective, this is what it means. A revival is a, a reawakening of religious fervor, especially by means of a series of evangelistic meetings. Boy, that's quite, quite the definition there isn't it? Uh, But I remember when I was about 11 or 12 years old, we had a a revival at our church there in Dalhart. And our guest preacher, guest evangelist uh, was well-known Methodist pastor, Ed Robb. And Ed came and and preached. It it was at a, a night service there at the church. And I remember he made the invitation at the end of his sermon. And I felt compelled to go to the altar and kneel and accept Christ as my savior. It was kind of an overwhelming feeling. It was an amazing uh, moment and I I still remember it. Now, in my mind's eye, I remember there were probably dozens of people at the altar. Of course, I was 12, so everything's bigger than it probably was. But I remember all these people coming to the altar to accept Christ and to confess sin. It's a a great memory that I have as a child, as 12 years of age, this revival. And throughout the history of America and and the world, there have been several prominent revivals where the Spirit of God is, is poured out in amazing power and transforms the lives of hundreds and sometimes thousands of people and sometimes even the nation. Now, in that small revival in Dalhart, There weren't hundreds of people transformed, but there were probably a handful. And, but it made a difference in my life. And that's what we pray for is revival to come, for God's spirit to move in mighty ways. You know, the first true revival that took place in the America is what uh, theologians call the Great Awakening. You probably know that term. You've heard of the Great Awakening, 1730s, 1740s. It was led by preachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Whitfield was a, a friend of both John and Charles. Go back. Hit the down arrow. We have a new person. It's okay. Down arrow. See it? There we go. Uh, led by preachers like Jonathan Edwards, you can see, and George Whitfield. Uh, Whitfield was a, a, a contemporary, a friend of John and Charles Wesley. He was a part of the Methodist movement, in fact. Uh, he was the Billy Graham of the 1700s, along with Jonathan Edwards. It's estimated that in Whitfield's lifetime, he preached 18,000 sermons to over 10 million people. That's quite amazing, isn't it? In fact, Benjamin Franklin was his publicist and promoter. And Whitfield's voice as a preacher, he had this booming voice. And Franklin estimated he did a scientific method that uh, Whitfield could preach to 30,000 people without amplification. Isn't that amazing? That's quite amazing. The, the Great Awakening changed the lives 
of thousands of people throughout the Americas. The second great awakening took place in the late 18th century and early 19th century. This was an explosion of people coming to Christ, an increase in church attendance and membership, and the the Methodist movement was also a huge part of the Second Great Awakening. Uh, They had camp meetings and revivals lasting for weeks on end. And prominent Methodists of this Second Great Awakening included uh, Francis Asbury and uh, Peter Cartwright and Richard Allen and Harry Hoosier. And you can see those men, uh, Asbury on the left, Harry Hoosier on the right there. And uh, some prominent Methodists in that Methodist movement. Uh, In fact, Richard Allen, the third one, he started the uh, AME uh, Church, the AME Zion Church, uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Harry Hoosier was an African slave, uh, illiterate um, slave, former slave in Indiana. They said he could preach the paint off wall. He was amazing. He was just an amazing preacher. Uh, But these men and and others and women helped start and were a big part of the second great awakening. The most recent revival, though, that I know of took place back in 1970 at Asbury College, right across the street from Asbury Seminary, where I went to uh, seminary. It was while I was actually at seminary that I first heard about this revival. In fact, some of the professors that were there at the seminary were a part of that revival in 1970. This revival at Asbury College started on a Tuesday morning of all mornings uh, at at 11 o'clock, February 3rd, 1970. It took place in Hughes Auditorium, that's Hughes Auditorium, during the chapel service that was scheduled for 50 minutes that day. And back then, the students at Asbury College, they were required to go to chapel three times a week. And so this was one of their three chapel services that was going on. This was not a scheduled revival like the one that we had in Dalhart. This was not a scheduled revival. In fact, the president of the college, Dennis Kinlaw, was out of the country. And the academic dean of the president of the college, uh, was he was scheduled to preach. And the academic dean was a Methodist layperson, just like many of you. Uh, and he decided not to preach that morning, but give his testimony. And he just shared about what Christ had done in his life because he had been converted later on in life. And then at the end of his testimony, he invited the students to speak about their experience with Christ and about the transformation that Christ had done in their lives. And you know that one of the foundations of the Methodist movement is that transformation of lives. And so one student responded and began to share a testimony, and then another until the floodgates opened up. And what was supposed to be a 50-minute service uh, turned into a service that lasted for 184 uh, hours, 24 hours a day for almost eight days, 24 hours a day. And it was amazing because these students would come forward and they would confess sin. They would pray at the altar. They would uh, get right in the relationship with God and their relationship with others. It was an amazing thing. But that revival spread from the college and it went across the street to the seminary and then to over 130 college campuses and seminaries and churches. In fact, the media found out about it and it was broadcast around the United States. Uh, And in fact, I I found a clip of it on uh, YouTube. That's where you find everything, right? Uh, So let's watch one of those broadcasts at this time. 
college campus at Wilmore, which touched me about as much as anything that's occurred in 34 years of news reporting. I know normally that when you're watching television, like everyone else, you have one eye perhaps on the paper, one eye on television, or one ear to someone else in the room, or perhaps you're fixing the evening meal. But for the next two and a half minutes, I wish you'd stop everything you're doing, and I think you too are going to be impressed. It started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning, Chapel was scheduled to end at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at 11 o'clock last night. It didn't end at 11 o'clock this morning. In fact, as Jim and I took the air, it was still going on. Let's have a look and a listen. Larry, this is quite an event here at Asbury. What does this mean to you? Oh, I can't, I can't express it. I tell you, the Lord has been planning this for so long. The prayers have been going up in girls and the guys' dorms and all over the world, I tell you, and it's finally happened. And he let us know the day before it happened. He said, during a prayer meeting in our dorm, and he said, it's going to happen tomorrow. And it did, and he just opened it up, and he let it fly, and that's all I can say. He told me that he wanted me to get up and say something. I said, the only way you're going to get me up is to kick me out of the seat, and he did. And I tell you, it's just blessed everybody. I'm not kidding you, the, the greatest outpouring of of God's love and the Holy Spirit, and I can't express it. I tell you, I'm just amazed, and I'm glorifying his name. I'm praising his name. When I checked into the hotel, the hotel... You can still go. Maybe not. That's all right. We'll move on. So this, this revival, which began at the seminary, that was Dennis Kinlaw, the, the president. He was out of the country, and they, they called him to ask him uh, to say, uh, we have a problem. <laughs> the academic dean said, we have a problem. He said, what's the problem? He said, chapel. He said, what happened? He says, it's still going. He said, what do you mean it's still going? And, uh, and, and they said, well, uh, something happened. The Spirit of God moved. And, and, and even Kinlaw was like, are you sure it's God moving and not just something else? And he said, yeah, we're pretty sure it's God moving. And he said, uh, what are we going to do? <laughs> we don't know. So he had to fly back to deal with this revival and these students. But uh, the, the news and, and some of the other things that I watched, uh, some of the people that went to witness were moved so much and gave their life to Christ as well. See, that's what I pray for as a pastor is revival. But the thing is, is when the Spirit of God moves, it can be a scary thing because you're no longer in control. And we like to be in control, don't we? Yes, we do. But it's amazing. There's nothing that excites me and scares me more than for revival to break out. But I constantly pray for revival. And I hope you do too. That's my prayer for you, as I hope that you're praying for that, that God would move, not just in our church, but in our country and in the church around the world. And see, it begins with the Spirit of God moving in our lives, the Spirit of God being poured out. But it's also in response to us being intentional. Revival begins with you and me. It begins with us giving our lives to Jesus in deeper ways and with us inviting others to do the same. Our scripture from the Gospel of John speaks of revival. This revival, it would, it would start slowly, and then when it catch spark, and it eventually spread throughout the entire world. And in our text this morning, we're witnessing the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He has just been baptized by John in the Jordan River, 
and he goes out to find his first disciples. He's in the area of Galilee in Israel. Just the day before, both Andrew and Peter had answered the call to come and follow Jesus. And now he finds Philip and he says to him, follow me. And Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and says to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Do you remember Nathaniel's reply to Philip? It's funny. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what does Philip tell him? You remember? It's just three words. Three words that can make all the difference in the world. Three words that can bring revival. Three words that can change your life. And three words that can change history. Three words that we should be using in our everyday conversations. Just three words. Come and see. Come and see. That's, that's what he said. Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. That is the beginning of revival. These three words will change Nathaniel's life. He will become a follower of Jesus after that. Revival begins with an invitation, not an argument. Revival begins with an invitation, not an argument. I want us to meditate on those three words, come and see, because they can change our life. Too often, though, as followers of Jesus, we get hung up on what we should say to people or what, what, what we know or don't know. We've, we think we have to have all the answers to any question that people ask us. And we get hung up and we, we get confused about trying to answer questions of faith in life. We get nervous about saying the right thing or we don't want to say the wrong thing. But here are the three words that you can use for any scenario of faith. Come and see. Come and see. We should have that spirit about us as we go about our work and our world. We should have a come and see attitude when it comes to our faith. We invite people to come and see the goodness of God. We often think that we have to be well-educated on every biblical question. And so that hinders us from the invitation because we think to ourselves, I don't have it all figured out, so I won't invite anyone else. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just invite them, come and see. Revival begins with an invitation, not an argument. And here's the good news about revival and about our faith. Our part is the invitation. Come and see. The Holy Spirit is responsible for convicting the heart. We don't have to change their heart. We just make the invitation. That's God's part. Too often we get confused and we think that's my part. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to, to convert them. No, you don't have to convert them. God converts. We make the invitation. But how will they be convicted if they're not invited? We have to do our part and allow the Spirit of God to do his part. In all revivals of God, the invitation is given, but it is the Spirit of God that convicts the heart. We need to have a come and see spirit and attitude. 
This is a far cry from the image that many of us have when we talk about evangelism or uh, revival, that, this, that image of someone with a Bible in their hand and trying to hit someone over the head with it. That's, that's not what we do. We're not about bashing someone with scripture. Revival begins with an invitation, not an argument. We are called to invite, come and see. And let me give you a tip on whom to invite because sometimes this confuses us as well. Here's who you invite. Those who are curious about faith and God. Now you can figure that out pretty quickly when you talk to people. They, here's the thing, they might not even believe in God. They might be agnostic or even atheist. Maybe they don't even have faith. But if they're open to a conversation and they're not closed-minded, that's who you ask. They might be skeptical about church or organized religion. That's okay. You're not trying to convict them right now. You're just inviting them to a journey of faith. Come and see. Come and check it out. But there, I would also tell you there are some people that you shouldn't try to engage and invite. Now, I'm not saying that they can't be saved. And there might be some of you that are called to these people, but I'm guessing the majority of you are not. It's just probably not worth your time engaging them. And, and who are those people? Those are the people that are so closed-minded that they're not interested in anything new, in any new information. They have it all figured out. Don't waste your time. They might be politically left or right. I don't care where they are politically or anywhere else. But those aren't the people you waste your time with. Uh, because you might, you want to plant your seed in better soil as the parable goes. Revival begins with an invitation, not an argument. We should be asking God to send us those who are lost, those who are questioning those who are open. We should be cultivating a come and see attitude because we have a God that is a come and see God, a God that invites into relationship. So let's take a closer work, look at these three words. First, come. You know, it's, maybe you don't know, it's intimidating to walk through these doors and come to church on Sunday morning if you're new. Now, for some of you, you've been here so long, it's, it's like second nature. Some of you even have a key to the building. It, it's home. This is your home, and it's not intimidating. But if you are new, let me just tell you, walking through those doors can be one of the most intimidating things and the bravest thing they've done that week. It's hard. So when you make the invitation to someone, be sure and make it as easy on them as you can. Maybe you're gonna offer them a ride to come. So you'll pick them up so that they know where to park because parking around here is an issue, right? Maybe you tell them where to park. There's a first time guest parking right here. Maybe you, you explain things. You introduce them to people. You welcome them as they are, not like you wish they were. In church, if you have a come and see attitude, then when you see someone you don't know, you'll introduce yourself, won't you? Because how awkward is it when you come into a room of people and you're standing there and you don't know anyone 
Even us introverts, ooh, right? So if you have a come and see attitude, you'll be the one to introduce yourself. You'll invite them to sit with you. You'll speak to them after worship. You will invite them to go to your Sunday school class. You know what the most important time in a new person's experience in worship is? The first three minutes they're here is the one. It's from the parking lot to the sanctuary. They've already made up their mind if they're coming back before they even hear me. They've already made up their mind before they even get in the sanctuary. And that depends on how they were invited, how if they could find parking, how they got in the door, that whole experience. And then the next most important time is right after worship. If they get out of this building in under a minute, most likely they'll not come back. So why is it important to introduce yourself? You're making a connection. Come, you have to make the invitation. And, that's the second word. What's the and? This is so important. The and is that spirit of prayer. It's the intentional expectation that God is moving and living in every moment with that that. That expectation, indeed that expectation that God is here and God is going to move. Praying for people who need Jesus. Praying that, that God would bring those people to you. Praying for people who are lost. A come and see spirit has as its core a desire for lost and hurting people to know Jesus. A come and see spirit has as its core a desire for lost and hurt people to know Jesus. This is the and. Pray that God is preparing your heart for whoever walks your way. And you don't have to remember a lot of stuff, do you? You just have to remember three words. Come and see. Pray that God is sending people to you who are open to hearing about Jesus. And then the see part. This is the part, as I was talking about in the come, it sometimes makes me nervous. What are they going to see? They're gonna see us. Oh, that's scary sometimes, right? But this is what I hope they see. A people that have been transformed by God. Not a people that have it all together, but a people that have been transformed by God. A people that have a story to tell of how Jesus has transformed their life with purpose and passion. I hope they see Jesus in you and I hope they see Jesus in me. But here's the thing. For them to see that, they need to hear your story. They need to know that Jesus actually makes a difference in your life. Your testimony can make the biggest difference. The story how Jesus has changed your life or is changing your life in big and small ways is a powerful witness. Don't forget that. Remember the Asbury College revival? Revival began not because of an excellent sermon, but because the academic dean, who was not a preacher, shared his story. Right? And, and because of that sharing of the story, of that opening up of the heart, the other students were willing to share their stories. Because students were willing to be vulnerable and they confessed their sin. And they opened up their life to a deeper 
relationship with Jesus. You have a story to tell. Will you tell it? Will you be a part of revival? You can be, though, if you focus on these three words. Come and see. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the invitation that you've given to us. Help us, O oh God, to be willing disciples of yours that we can indeed transform the world. Lord, for those who have not made that commitment to you this morning, I pray that you would open their hearts to you. We thank you for the ways that you move in our midst. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.